0: Yesterday, we lost a priest of the archeparchy, Father Dennis Bolda. Father Dennis was the rector of the cathedral in Pittsburgh for many, many years. He was also the vocation director for many, many years. Father Deacon Ben and I were at the seminary. He would come to the seminary a lot, and then he would invite us out often for dinner, take us out to dinner to get us out of the institution and back into normal life and have a a normal conversation if you will. And uh he says the seminary is important but it's not where your destination is. That's not real life. Necessary but not a real life. So he was a great breath of fresh air to be around him and and he um someone asked him one time, "Are you worried about the Byzantine church here in America?" He says, "No, I'm not." He says, God has a plan for this church or she would not have survived coming over in the immigration and would not have survived all that we've endured over these past years once we got to America. No, he's got a plan for our church. And I'm in agreement with him. So we had liturgy last night for Father Dennis. We also lost another priest. That would help us in our own aparchy, Father Michael Irwin, a religious, maybe some of you might remember him. He substituted for me uh, a few years ago while I was in a live in Christ camp. So it's always sad when you're shoulder to shoulder with these people working and, and then they're not there. But they're great lights for all of us. When I was a little boy, and I'm kind of reaching here, I'm stretching a bit, maybe five, six, my memories are, I still have some memories of kindergarten, so it's got to be somewhere right in there. My brother and I shared a room, and between us was a lampstand, and on the lampstand was a lamp. But this was not an ordinary lamp. The lampshade on this lamp was terrific. It had carvings and engravings in it. It was kind of translucent, and it was really nothing special until you turned on the light bulb, like a forty-watt light bulb, a low white bulb, and all of a sudden the images came to light of the mountains, the forest, the trees, the deers. I even remember a scene where there's like a little fire. It was magnificent, but without the light bulb, it was just a normal lampshade. But as the light Behind the shade shining through, that gave it the, the image that we were looking for. And my brother and I would just long to just look at it. Oh, it was spectacular. We have been celebrating the Feast of the Cross. Saturday, yesterday, was the Odonia, the leave taking for the Feast of the Exaltation of the Cross. And we know in the third week of the great fast, we have the veneration of the cross. And we celebrate other times of the cross as well. The times when the cross shone in the sky before Constantine went into battle. A time when the cross was taken on a great procession in Constantinople and on and on. Not to mention Fridays are dedicated to the cross as well as Wednesdays if you're not going to celebrate the blessed Mother. So the cross is is big in our church. You can't escape it. But something happened this week that reinforces everything we've been celebrating. It actually started on Monday. Do you know what it is? It's an exciting thing. Well, if you were following your calendars like good Byzantine Catholics and you were doing your readings... You'll notice before last Monday, you were reading from Mark's Gospel, and before that, we were reading Matthew's Gospel. But suddenly, halfway through Mark's Gospel, we find ourselves starting with Luke and a Lord's Baptism. This is what we call the Lucan jump. The Church does this to set us up for something great. She's aligning all our gospel readings, pointing us towards. The cross. From now on, we will be reading Luke, and Luke will take us all the way to the cross. Luke's gospel is just illumined with the cross, it's everywhere. And that cross is the light bulb behind which we read Scripture. And we see it in our gospel this Sunday. Jesus has been teaching, and a great crowd is following Him. He's been teaching quite a while. His name is pretty wide known. His words were electrifying, gripping, life-changing. Even at one point, when the guards were sent to arrest him, they came up empty handed and they asked, Where is he? And they said, No one has ever talked like this before. So, this large crowd is here, pressing in on Jesus, listening to his words, and at the same time clamoring to be touched or touch him. And when we look at this scripture, we look at just that scene, and we see the light of the cross behind the text, illumining the text, we will see the cross there. We will see that in three short years, there will be another mob, another crowd. Only this time, they will be clamoring to get to Him to crucify Him. And they will not yell out, help us, but they will yell out, "Persecution." Blasphemy to him. Jesus gets in the boat, and it's the boat of Peter. Peter's seen these miracles before. Peter was with Jesus at the wedding feast at Cana. Peter was with Jesus when Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law. So he's in the boat. and When Jesus is talking, he asks Peter to go out in and lower the nets for a catch. I don't imagine Peter really wanted to do this. He just cleaned his nets. He's a seasoned fisherman. He knows you catch fish at night in the type of fishing they're doing or the wee hours in the morning. And you can hear it in his rebuttal. Well, Master, we've been hard at it all night. But, but, if you say so, we will do it. When we look at this, with the cross illuminating the text, we see something else. We find ourselves in the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus saying, if it's possible, Father, let this cup pass me by. However, not my will, but your will be done. Peter lowers the net for a catch. Catches a great number of fish beyond his wildest dreams of being possible to catch. And Peter suddenly becomes aware of whose presence he's in and falls down in humility Forgive me, leave me, Lord, I am a sinful man. When we look at this text with the cross illumining it, we see Jesus as extreme humility. being humbled, blasphemed before all, but enduring it out of obedience to His Father and for love of the people that are blaspheming Him. But He was humble. We have an icon called extreme humility. Peter, through his obedience, his humility, would become a follower of Christ and bring great crowds to Jesus. Not to himself, but to our Lord. For that cross would become a light that would illumine his life. When people looked at Peter, they would see the light of the cross within him. Just as we talked about the cross of light of the cross illuminating the text of the scriptures we talked about this morning that very cross was illuminating him when people saw him they saw the light of the cross within him and we're called to the same we're called to be that light allow the light of the cross to shine through us before men so that when others see us They see the light of the cross within us. Say, they see the imprint of scriptures in our lives. They see the imprint of the divine services in our lives. They see the image of the Eucharist in our lives. The light of the cross is shining through. I loved my lamp. I don't know what happened to it, I'm sure it deteriorated, and as soon as it gets a little something, mom, would, it would go. It was phenomenal and it was comforting. But no matter how much I looked at it, it would not make a change in my life. It would not make a change within me. But the light of the cross, shining through His Son to us, will make a change. The cross is not just about enduring suffering, though that's important. And the cross is not about sacrificing ourselves and our own selfishness, like we talked about last week, though that's important. The light of the cross is all about New life, a new vision, a new destiny. Allow the light of the cross to shine within you, and may Christ be translucent through you so that all may see him. Don't put a basket over yourselves, but stand on a hill so your light. A shine before men.